Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. I want to speak to you about a subject today called making decisions. <laughs> and frankly, I had to make a decision to speak on this topic, but I really felt directed to do this. And uh, ever since I had that particular leading from the Ruach HaKodesh, I believe, uh, I've certainly been challenged in the area of decision-making. By the way, have you ever been challenged in the area of decision-making, anybody besides me? Yes. And some have a difficult time making a decision. Uh, others, they just plow forward and they just make decisions and sometimes very spuriously. But one of the passages often quoted when we talk about decision-making is found in the book of Yoel, the book of Joel, chapter 3, verse 14. In the English, it's a different numbering in the Hebrew, where it says, Hamonim, Hamonim, Be'emek, Hecharutz. It means it's translated. There are many ways to translate it, but the common translation is multitudes, multitude, hamonim, hamonim, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Which means, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And how many of you have heard that verse before? Probably many of us have. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. If you look at the full context of Joel chapter 3, if you look at it, it shows there, it explains actually through all of the book of Joel, the book of Joel, explains how God is the judge, and he's also in a sense as the judge that places him as the one who is the great decision maker. And it also shows us in book of Joel chapter 3 and other chapters that nations make decisions and the implication would also be that individuals who are part of nations make decisions. And that comes right down to our home, to our place where we're sitting today or standing. But the difference is God's decisions, as Scripture teaches us very forthrightly, God's decisions, His, His judgments, they are basically just and true, and for the most part, they're final. <laughs> They're just, and who's going to refute God? I mean, they, he's just and true in all his ways. He's blameless. Let me give you a little tip. If you ever start pointing the finger at God, <laughs> remember as you do so that you have quite a few pointing back at yourself. He is blameless. His ways are just and true. And Joel and other prophets point that out. When we look at this, this verse in chapter 3, verse 14, when we look at it, I want to share a few top, a few, few um, ideas about decision-making, as I mentioned. Our decisions that we make sometimes are just very rudimentary decisions, very simple decisions. For example, what to eat for breakfast. <laughs> 
I, I imagine that no one goes to the intercessory closet, closes the door, and says, Lord, what should I eat for breakfast? I have known in Bible college one or two that did that. <laughs> they ended up fasting for many days. But <laughs> well, what to eat for breakfast? What to eat for dinner? Uh, decisions like how should I dress for this event? Decisions about when should I go to sleep? When should I arise? Awaken. These type of decisions, some of them we get in, you know, a habit of certain particular times. How many of you go to sleep at the same time every night? Where are the hands? <laughs> I know who to communicate at 12 at night, huh? <laughs> but, you know, those simple decisions of what to eat, when to, when to, go, to uh, go to sleep, that type of thing, they really pale in comparison to some of the major decisions that we make in life. For example, decisions that are extremely impactful for us, like where to live, that's impactful. You're in the wrong neighborhood with the wrong neighbors. You're going to have a different experience. It doesn't mean that God didn't place you there. He may lead you there for ministry purposes. But where you live is very important. Where you decide to uh, congregate, where you decide to commit to as a congregation is very important. What profession you choose in life is very important. You're going to spend time going that direction and probably expend quite a bit of uh, finances to, to achieve that profession. Here's a very important topic. Who to marry? That's an important one. Would you agree with that? That's, a, that's an important topic. Who to marry? When to marry? Uh, as we just heard, what to name a newborn child? When you name that child, that child has that name from then on. And many of you remember Johnny Cash's song, A Boy Named Sue. <laughs> so what you name your child is important there. Those type of decisions, how much time you spend praying and seeking God may not seem so important, but it's absolutely critical to your life, to our lives. It's critical. How we uh, deal with our devotional lives, very critical. How much we invest into the things of God is very critical, much more than we realize most of the time. But the ultimate and the best decision, in my opinion, I believe you would agree with this, the best ultimate decision we can make in our life is to faithfully follow Yeshua the Messiah. That is the best decision in life. And I've been able to see over the course of time individuals who didn't make that decision when they were younger and regretted it when they got older. They actually spurned making that decision of following the Lord when they were younger and they knew him. They decide, I'm not going to do that. And they end up at the, the last in their last hours and sometimes in very regretful situations, very painful to watch. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, is often brought up when we speak about choosing and making decisions. You know these verses. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. And also later on in the same segment, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is saying this at the end of his life, not just the beginning. We can see looking at the Torah testimony, we can see that Joshua chose to serve the Lord. And as he was serving the Lord, he was serving within his community. I would say, and I think you would agree, that Yehoshua, Joshua was Moshe, was Moses' right-hand man, so to say, along with Aharon, Aaron. Yeshua put it this way, 
speaking about how important it is that we follow the Lord. We make that decision that he's going to be our Lord on a daily basis. In Yohanan, John chapter 12, verse 26, he says this. If anyone serves me, notice this next phrase, let him follow me. Some have said, well, I'm going to serve the Lord, but then they do their own thing. They're not really following the Lord. And Yeshua seemed to be addressing that kind of an attitude when he said, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. So really, if you say you're serving God, are you following him? It gets difficult sometimes discerning his will, making decisions, but let's follow him. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. There will be no daylight between the servant and the master. <laughs> They'll be united. How many of you have rejoiced realizing when you've been in a situation that the Lord was near to you in the midst of it? Sometimes we don't realize that till after it. But there was no daylight. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, listen to this, please. Him my Father will honor. Let me say that again. Yeshua said, if anyone serves me, anyone serves Yeshua, that person my Father will honor. So friends here today, this beautiful Shabbat, committed service and devotion to Yeshua should be really ground zero, ground zero in our decision-making process. I like to say it like this. Please don't make decisions that take you farther from the Lord. Make decisions that draw you closer to the Lord. And if you'll do that, your decision-making process will, will improve. You'll find yourself more and more sensing the presence of the Lord and more and more having an inner peace about, an inner resolve, really, about following him. You see, if Yeshua is really Lord of our lives, every major decision we face in our lives, and we have many of them, every major decision we face in our lives should be connected to honoring him and giving him glory. Let me give you the verse that says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, and notice the next statement, please, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let me read that again. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And let me pose this question to you. Does the phrase in that verse in 1 Corinthians 10.31, when it says, whatever you do, does that include the decision-making process? I would suggest yes. Whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, how does this further the kingdom? How does this glorify God? Does this glorify God? Does this draw me nearer to him and does push me farther away? Does this lead me more to more devotion? Does this lead me farther from a point of true, genuine heart devotion to the Lord? Now, actually, as I'm saying this here in our type of a situation most of you can resonate with what I'm saying. In fact, that's part of the, the, the struggle we sometimes have. 
in making decisions. How best can I, Lord, how best can I do this? What is it you really want from me? How can I go forward here with your help? Yet not all people are serving the Lord on the face of the earth. Have you noticed that? Not everyone's serving the Lord. And not all people see serving the Lord as a foundational aspect of daily decision-making. Recently, I was reading an article in a publication called Psychology Today. And I was interested in it because I knew what I was feeling led to speak about, which was decision-making today, which will just barely touch the surface of that subject. And the article was about (laughs) decision-making. And I read through the article, tried to be open-minded to it, but I noticed something was missing in the article. There were five takeaways that the article presented at the end of the article. These are the five major takeaways when it comes to decision-making. And it was no surprise to me as I weighed my way through that article. It was no surprise to me that God, prayer, God's Word, or seeking godly counsel, none of that was mentioned as far as decision-making. And you might say, well, that was an article about business and all. No, it really wasn't. It was just about the process of decision-making. Ironically, the writer of that article for Psychology Today, the writer of that article made a decision not to put anything about God in that article. That was the writer's decision not to even mention God. Okay, that was a decision. I think it made for a a less uh, riveting article and a less uh, true and accurate and helpful one. But there was one. The closest of the five key ideas connected to decision-making was the fourth key that the article mentions. And I want to read it to you, the quote, exactly what the article said. Key number four of the five Quote, checking with your head and gut, unquote. So there it was, checking with your head and gut. Now, now believe me, I like practical decision-making. We need to be practical sometimes. If it's cold outside, please put a nice warm jacket on. If you're trying to throw snowballs, which we don't do very often here, but those from the north know what I'm talking about, please make sure you wear some good gloves so your hands aren't blue at the end of your process. Practical decision-making, it's important. You come to a red light, please stop at the red light, etc. You know what I'm talking about. Some of the practical things we deal with every day that we make decisions, they're minor decisions, they could have major impact, but they're minor decisions. If you run the red light, there can be some repercussions to running that red light. And we certainly don't want to fulfill as believers uh, when we think and be so impractical that people say, well, look, he's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. That saying's been out there for decades to describe certain people that they're, 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 they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. But if our decision-making process in life revolves around key item number four of psychology today, checking with your head and gut, <laughs> you know what? Mission control, we have a problem. <laughs> we have a problem. Sorry, psychology today, 
sorry, but our head more often than not tells us to go the easiest way possible. And I don't know about you, but for some of us, as our head is telling you go the easiest way possible, our gut is telling us make sure there's a pit stop at Brahms as you go. But Scripture points to something very different when it comes to God dealing with his people. Very different. It's in the Torah portion abundantly this week. And even the book of Philippians in the Brit Hadashah and the New Covenant says this, and notice how it mentions this, please. Philippians 3 verse 18 says, For many walk, conduct themselves. Walk means conduct themselves. For many walk, conduct themselves, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, listen to this, the apostle says, I'm telling you this as I'm telling you this, I'm weeping. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross. They're enemies of all that's represented in Yeshua's sufferings. After all, did he not deny himself and take up the tree, the execution stake, the cross, and lay down his life for us? Yes, he did. That's the great beauty of the good news because he was sinless himself, and he did it for us, for you today and me. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Yeshua whose end is destruction. Notice this next statement, whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And then he says, hallelujah for verse 20, for our citizenship is where? Our citizenship is in Hashemayim with Elohim. Our citizenship is heaven, from which we also eagerly wait. And when it says that, it implies that he's coming back at any time. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly, also eagerly wait for the Savior. Is he your Savior today? The Savior is named here. His name is the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Is he your Savior today? Are you eagerly waiting him, knowing your citizenship really, you're, this world's not really your home. Your citizenship is with him. So that's the real eternal kingdom. Heaven and earth may pass away, as Yeshua says. He said, but my words, they're not going to pass away. Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, he doesn't really talk about the easy street in this verse. He says, narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Few who find it. And you might say, well, wow, he doesn't seem to have the math right now. Yes, he does. First of all, he knows the hearts of all people. And secondarily, there have been multiplied billions of people who have walked the face of the earth. But how few have truly sought God? How few have truly recognized my citizenship isn't there. This world's not my home, as King David said. I'm a stranger in the earth, as King David said. That doesn't mean we just pull ourselves away from society. I know we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. 
and mirror the ways of the world. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Friends, the Spirit of God leads us as He chooses. <laughs> and at times, His leading is contrary to what our mind or belly might say. <laughs> For example, if you read the Parasha, it's, it's the opening salvo of the Parasha, this statement. Say for Shemot, the book of Exodus, chapter 13, it says in English version, verse 17, New King James, then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go. Notice his next statement. You've probably seen it many times, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines. And then there's this statement, although that was near... That was the easiest route. That was the quickest route, the direct route. Many of you use Google to find, and you can ask for the easiest route, the quickest route, etc. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds, they make a decision, they change their minds when they see Milchama war, and they returned to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, Joseph had, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Sukkot and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. Both of those things, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, because of those provisions, they were able to move either in the day or the night. God didn't forsake them in the daytime, and God didn't forsake them in the nighttime. His, his presence was there with them. It says in verse 22, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. He didn't forsake them. He was there 24-7. And friends, please hear me today. If you really are a follower of Yeshua, he's there with you 24-7. In some ways, that is a very encouraging idea. So we know that we're never alone. I was uh, in Bible school, and one of my roommates, uh, he was a... Uh, um, he was an only child. Actually, he was from Oklahoma. He was an only child. Only the first Oklahoma I ever met. He was an only child, a very professional guy. He had come to the Lord. He had been living in a, um, a fornicative type relationship. He left it after many years, and he did the right thing. <laughs> he ended up to be in a spiritual authority in a very big congregation, by the way. But he struggled with loneliness. And one day, I, I came into our room, and I found him. He was on his knees with his, his you know, face on the bed, and he was interceding. And I, I was, I'm quiet. I walked in. He hardly noticed. 
and he looked up, and we started talking, and then um, he, we, we started talking about all things was loneliness, because it was the middle of the day, and he had the curtains drawn, and he was on his face, on his knees, and on his face on the bed praying, and he told me he was lonely, and he said, God spoke to me. <laughs> now, how are you when someone says, the Lord told me? <laughs> uh, when they come, come to me and say, well, the Lord told me I'm supposed to do this, and I'm like, why are you telling me then? <laughs> but he said the Lord spoke to him about loneliness, and the Lord said to him, and it ministered to him in a deep way, and I remembered it all these years. The Lord spoke to him and said, loneliness is just your eyes off of me. And that revolutionized his life. That rhema word revolutionized his life. I don't believe we ever spoke about loneliness again. He started to realize, he realized that loneliness was just, he had his eyes in the wrong place, his spiritual eyes, the eyes of his heart were in the wrong places. It's so important that we have, a, we focus upon Yeshua. We fix our gaze upon him that we continue to walk steadfastly and faithfully, that we be true followers of this glorious Messiah who's coming back in such great glory we can't even imagine. But back to our parashah, Sefer Shemot chapter 13. We notice right away, and I emphasize as I was reading it, that God did not lead them in the easy way. They could have went straight up the coastline into what was then Philistia, into what's modern Israel, the Shvela area, the, this, the coastal area. They could have went straight up there, but God didn't lead them that way. It said in Exodus 13, verse 17, you probably remember this, we just read it. It gives a reason why. Sometimes God gives the reason why in our life. Did you notice that? And other times he doesn't. But let me, let me try to explain, I think, why that happens. Sometimes he'll explain things to us. He'll reveal things to us. Has God ever done that with you where he's kind of shown you why something happened in your life? Shown you why one of my examples is, why did I study Spanish for six years? Why, why, why? <laughs> the answer is my wife right here sitting there. And after we got married, after we met, and one of my friends who knew my moaning about, why did I spend all that time college-level Spanish. I mean, why? I'm, I'm called to my people. And then she came out to me. A friend of mine said, do you remember that when you complained about that? <laughs> but sometimes he'll show us why, and other times he won't. And in this case, in Exodus chapter 13, he does give a little insights. In chapter 13, verse 17, he says, lest perhaps the people change their mind, they make a decision when they see war based on their circumstances. And not only that, they would compound and make a decision when they see war, and what do they do? They might return back to Egypt. And don't you know, if you read through the parashah, and we'll continue to read through the parashayot, they, there's this whole, there's a cacophony of sound that comes, this coterie of people that keep saying, we need to go back to Egypt. We need to go back to Egypt. There, there were leeks and garlics and fish and all that. Did you bring us out here, Moses, that we should die out here? Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. 
God did not want them at that time. His plan was far superior to going back to Egypt. His plan involved a great promised land that only he could give. And friend, his plan for you today, if you're a believer, involves a great eternal reward, which only he can give. But will you persevere? Will you follow him? Will you do what he says, or will you do your own thing for your own kingdom? That's the question we all answer by our daily lives and our decisions. He didn't want them to be put off. He didn't want them to become afraid because of war. He didn't want them to be discouraged. All those things would, turn, would cause them to want to return to Egypt where they felt some type of comfort in their misery. And that's what happens sometimes with people who get so comfortable in their misery that they don't want to change. But we are being changed from glory to glory and faith to faith through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. So fear was a factor, being afraid, being discouraged. And it's no secret that when Yahushua Joshua steps in after Moses, God continually tells Joshua on numbers of occasions, both in the Torah and also in the book of Yehoshua, the book of Joshua. For example, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, he continually tells him, says, have I not commanded you? I don't know what you get from that statement, but the idea is there, do you get what I'm telling you, Joshua? Have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the Lord continually gives that same message throughout the whole history of Israel, the biblical history of Israel, and throughout the history of believing in the God of Israel. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10 is a powerful verse. Perhaps this is for you today. Maybe you've been asking the Lord for some kind of word to grab onto for a situation you face. Maybe this is one that you can latch onto from your own heart. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. By the way, is he your God? That's a big question. Is he really the Lord of your life? For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Those familiar with biblical terminology, you realize that that term righteous right hand or the term right hand is not a, a hand of weakness. It's a hand of great strength. It's the very term used to describe the hand of God as he delivered the children of Israel, the whole nation, from the clutches of Pharaoh. In the New Covenant, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, maybe this is a good word for us. Well, it is a good word for us. Let's read it together. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Let me read that again. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. So where is victory found? Your relationship with Yeshua the Messiah is critical to your depth of victory in your life and in decision-making. Critical. 
you're making decisions just for your own jollies, just for your own things, you might be making some bad ones. Make sure at the very base of your decision-making is the idea of God's kingdom and doing what's right in his sight. He'll bless you as you make decisions. He'll guide you. He'll even correct you if you start to go astray. He'll guide you with his eye upon you. As one of my friends from Kentucky, also at Bible school, said to me, you know, you've got to be close enough to see his eyes for him to guide you. He'll guide you with his eye upon you. So also, Lord, he did not want them, didn't want the B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, deciding, making a decision to return to Egypt and to its ways. And in a pal- parallel manner for us as Messianic believers, Yeshua does not want us to return to any unregenerate ways that we had previously. Repentance is a key for us in turning to God. Getting those things out of our life that are displeasing to him. And once space is cleared in our life and our time and our resources for the kingdom of God, they can be used much better for the kingdom of God in an eternal way. Luke chapter 9 verse 62 declares, But Yeshua said to him, what a challenging verse this is, by the way. Here's what he said to the inquirer. He said to him, No one, notice that term, no one, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one. No exception clauses with that. The highest inward decision that we can make is to do the will of God. That's the highest one. To do his will. To do his will under the tutelage and inspiration and empowerment, if you will, of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to do his will. And to do his will no matter the challenges that come to us. The children of Israel would have a difficult time for basically 40 years in the wilderness. And you know, there would be a whole generation that would die off says because they didn't trust the Lord. They didn't believe the Lord. They couldn't enter in because they didn't trust the Lord. And we're to make a firm decision in our lives here in this 21st century American culture that we live in, a firm decision to do the will of God. If you haven't made us, make that today. Make this Shabbat your decision day for that. To serve the Lord and to do his will. Make that your decision. Because that brings us to the very bedrock of decision making, which is for a believer particularly, but it should be for all people, faith in Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior. There it is, the bedrock of decision making. John chapter 6, verse 29. Again, Yeshua responding in a circumstance he faced. Yeshua answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent, Yeshua the Messiah. We should realize, I think, that decision-making is a critical topic for us as Messianic. We've been here today. I'm almost through. I can't really cover as much as I'd like to. It's so critical for us that we make good decisions. I know in my own life I've made some really bad decisions. Other times, by the mercy of God, I made better decisions. There are times I've made what was, turned out to be a good decision, and I wasn't sure it was a good decision. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. You've had these things in your life also. 
But let's, let's do what we can to serve God and to do His will. Let's make that a key thing for us. And I want to share with you five things to keep in mind when making decisions in life. Again, this is just a tip of the iceberg type thing. I got inspired from the Psychology Today <laughs> article that said five keys to decision-making. Well, here's five, I would call them uh, things to keep in mind as the Lord leads you. But number one, I've been emphasizing it because it is the foundation. Make sure you are solidly committed to the Lord in your life. Why? If you're not solidly committed, you're going to make decisions that show that you're not solidly committed to the Lord. Show that you're, in a sense, compromised. Show that you're, in a sense, um, you know, not fully there. Make sure you're solidly committed to the Lord in your life, and your commitment is exhibited daily in each area of your life. In fact, each area of our life then becomes a place of growth for us, where we can exhibit with growth. You know, I'm, more and more I'm wanting to serve the Lord. More and more I'm showing in my actions in this area of my life. It really shows with, with vices, that we had vices. As we start to let those go, we should really repent of them, get rid of those things that distract. They take time, and some, some vices steal your health, certainly steal your finances. So we, we make steps of growth, incremental steps, if, and if necessary, a complete break, and I think that's a better way. Because his lordship is meant to be the foundation of all areas of our life. In fact, if we don't view it that way, then it's not really lordship we're talking about. It's partial lordship. <laughs> Number two, recognize in your decision-making that God may lead you in a way you don't expect, and then here's the point. Will you let him do that? <laughs> he may lead you, as our power shot points out, lead you in a way you don't really re expect, Will you allow him to do that, or will you interfere? And some people do. I've done that. You probably have too. But he may lead you in a way you don't expect. Many of us have found ourselves in places and circumstances that his hand was clearly on, and we, uh, just a, a month before or a year before, would have never guessed that would be the circumstance we're in. Actually, I can say that about Oklahoma City for my family. <laughs> Never crossed my mind. <laughs> he nainy, here I am right now, 23 years later. <laughs> Number three, avail yourself of the spiritual tools God has granted you as a believer in Yeshua. And this was my real beef with the psychology today thing. There was no mention of God at all in decision making. That's unimaginable. I can't even imagine that. So avail yourself of the spiritual tools God has granted you as a believer in Yeshua. For example, search his word on a topic. If you're struggling with unforgiveness, search the word of God about forgiveness. If you're struggling about a healing issue, search the word of God about healing. If you're struggling about finances, search the word of God and see if you're really finding, following his prescription. If you want his healing in that area, you follow his prescription. If you're struggling in the area of relationships, look at the Word of God and see how it informs you. That's a tool we have. Also, it's going to sound funny, but prayer doesn't hurt in this matter. <laughs> seek him in secret. He'll reward you openly. 
Sometimes seeking counsel from godly people is a big help. How many of you have experienced that, by the way? You've gone to someone, an issue. I have. I have. When Miriam and I uh, left Israel, it was a very tough decision for us. And we went and saw counsel. It was a hassle to go see counsel. We had to go all the way to Jerusalem. We were not living in Jerusalem. We were in Ashkelon. To go all the way to Jerusalem and seek counsel. And while we were there, we got counsel. And it was uh, Devar Adonai. It was the word of the Lord. It affirmed, it confirmed what, what we had heard. And so it's good. Seek counsel. Don't just do your own thing and be a spiritual lone ranger because you may end up on the cliff as the spiritual lone ranger. Number four, boy, is this one key. This is really important. I put it four because number four was the one that they said about using your mind and your gut. <laughs> there. Number four, avoid pride and haughtiness. Because it is true, it's repeated at least three times in Scripture that God resists the proud. It also says he does give grace to the humble. So make sure you be humble before the Lord. Avoid pride. Don't try to tell God. Let him speak to you. Let him direct you. He's the Lord. <laughs> and lastly, number five, should you make a mistake in your decision-making? Maybe I should say that differently. What do you think? Let me suggest a possible alteration to my notes here. Instead of should you make a mistake in your decision-making, maybe it should be when you make a mistake in your decision-making. My next comment is all but Yeshua have made mistakes in decision-making. <laughs> when you make a mistake in decision-making, seek not to make that mistake, but if you do, do your best to, please write this next word down if you're taking notes, to immediately, immediately get things right. Procrastination leads to a lot of bad stuff spiritually. Yeah, Lord, I'll pray. You know, uh, let me finish this game now, this, this movie I'm watching. And, but I will pray after that, Lord. And when the movie's done, what are you doing? Uh, I think I'd like to watch another one. That was just part one of the series. <laughs> Immediately get things right and get back on his path for your life. If you make a, a wrong decision, immediately work on it. Get it right soon so there's less travail to your soul and to others that you may impact. And there's this wonderful verse in Proverbs 24, verse 16. I'll read the first part. It says, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. And rise again. We can make some serious mistakes and blunders in our life, but if we have a repentant heart and we truly serve God, he will receive us by his grace and mercy. Now, conclusion, I've left the most important part, I think, about decision-making until the end because it's in a somewhat different category. I call it the divine decision. The divine decision decision. Yes, we talk about decision-making, and even in our parashah in Exodus 13, God made a decision with the children of Israel not to take them the easy route, because he knew if they saw war, they might turn back to Egypt. God's able to make decisions, too. The idea of being the judge involves making decisions that are permanent, and he's the eternal judge. 
His decisions are final. Now, he made a decision, and I'm thankful to him today with a full heart for his decision. The divine decision was that he would send his son Yeshua to die for us, and I am thankful for that decision. Because without the decision, we are dead in our sins. We are without hope in this world, and we are on a point of degradation and eventual damnation. But the divine decision was to send his only begotten son, his Ben HaYachid, Yeshua HaMashiach. And then there's another decision connected to that. Yeshua willingly gave his life for you. That's a divine decision. And there was opportunity during his life, perhaps, and it's a big point of theological discussion, even up to the very end, he cries out at the point of Gethsemane. He cries out and says, not my will be done, Lord, but yours be done. If it's possible, take this cup from me, but your will be done, not mine. And aren't you glad that he was able to say as he hung on the tree, it is finished, Telias. It is finished. That was a divine decision for you. That impacts your life before we were even born. He did it for us. He chose to love you. He chose to love you with an everlasting love. That is a divine decision. He took upon himself all your sins and all your iniquities, all the bad decisions that we've made. He took that upon himself, all the hurt that we've caused people. He took that upon himself. He took the punishment and the guilt of that upon himself for us, for you. He's worthy of us following him fully, resolutely, 100%. That was a divine decision, what he did for you. And he redeems his people from bondage, leads us to a good place with an eternal reward. That is a divine decision. That's what God has decided. Will you follow? Will you let him? Will you go with him? Will he be your Lord and Savior through this life to prove that you're his in the life beyond? He chose to be the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That was his decision. And he is coming back again. He's coming back again to receive his followers onto himself so that where he is, they may be also. You know what? That will be his decision. He will do it. Faithful as he who has called us, even he shall bring it to pass. So have you decided today? Have you made a decision? Are you his today? No one can answer that for you. Our lives are displaying it. The decisions we're making in life are displaying it with our time, with our treasure, with our talents. Are you his today? Does your decision-making in your daily life prove that it's true that he is your Lord and Savior and the master of your life? Yeshua laid down his life willingly. In just a moment, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. He gave us such love and grace and mercy. And I can't speak for you, but I can tell you this. 
I don't deserve it. He's the only worthy one. He is worthy. When we get to the book, book of Revelation, what do they keep saying? You are worthy, O Lord. You are worthy, O Lord. You are worthy. He hung on the tree for you and me. He gave his life for us, and our bad decisions can be atoned for. Maybe you've made some terrible decisions in your life. If you have, don't go there again. That's like going back to Egypt and the mud pits of it. Go forward in the grace of God. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, let me leave you with two verses, please. The book of Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, notice, please, the next statement. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us please run with endurance the race that is set before, that's set before us. And verse 2 becomes a key to fulfilling this. Looking unto Yeshua. Looking unto who? Yeshua. Looking unto Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith, and it's hard for me to even say the next words without really being moved. Who for the joy that was set before him. Maybe you were part of that joy. Maybe you. He rejoiced, as it says in Isaiah 53, to see what would be the result of his vicarious sufferings for us. Who for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross, despised the shame, disregarded the shame that we cast upon him, they spit upon him, they mocked him, and they did all kinds of things that when we speak of that the Gospels tell us. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and hallelujah, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Will you play with me? Pray with me, please. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.